Amen. All right, go ahead and get your Bibles out. Uh, Philippians chapter 1 is where we're going to be uh, this morning as we close out uh, this sermon series, Seven Words to Change Your Life. And uh, these seven words are really the gospel, the whole of the gospel through the whole of the scriptures. And uh, we started seven weeks ago. We started with the word glory. Uh, we saw the work of God. And uh, we, uh, the, we see God's glory, that we exist uh, to bring greater glory uh, to Jesus Christ. Uh, we saw uh, God's work in redemption in and through us. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, or the couple of weeks after that, um, we see our response in that. And our response is one repentance that we turn from sin to Jesus and following him. And then there's a humility within us, uh, our response to God's work, and then the ways in which we participate with God in his work. Uh, what we saw the last couple of weeks, we're committed uh, to whatever God has for us. And then last week, looking at this concept of service, that we serve uh, the Lord. And all of these, uh, really our desire this morning is that we would tie all of these uh, together around the concept of Eternity. And eternity. When we think of eternity, I'm talking about heaven. I'm talking about uh, what happens the moment you and I die. Uh, I'm talking about from uh, this moment, uh, right here, right now, uh, that has no end. Y'all know you're living in eternity right now? You're just on the not as good side of it yet. But listen, listen, listen. It's quite possible that some of you are on the best side. If you don't heed uh, the words and the warnings of Jesus Christ and for all of eternity. So let's begin with this thought here this morning that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the gospel compels us to live every day, every single day with eternity in mind. The gospel compels us to live every day with eternity in mind. Now, listen, some of you, some of you, you can't think past the next 30 seconds. Right? It gets fuzzy for you. Planning, you don't know what that means. You've never done that. Have no interest in that. Others of you in here, <clears throat> you've got the next 32 months of your life planned. And like moment by moment, each thing, hey, are you available on October 17th, 2017? Nope, got something going on. Sorry, I have to find another day. I mean, some of you are like that, man. You got so much planned out in front of you. And whether you're on one extreme, the other extreme, or somewhere in between, the reality is, that eternity, as we think of it, as we live life here, it, it should color, it, it should influence, it should be the hue or the lens by which we see everything. And so here, let me give you, this is a cheesy example. I'll just give it to you right up front. It's super cheese ball, but you know what? The next time you put on your glasses, you're going to think about eternity because when you put on sunglasses, it colors everything around you, doesn't it? I don't get to pick and choose like, oh, it's darker over here, but it's still bright over there. It, it, it colors everything that I see. And in that same manner, in that same form, and see, the next time you put sunglasses on, you're going to be thinking about eternity. That was really the point. Living here, you put them on a lot. Um, but it should be comprehensive. Our view, the way in which we see everything around us, it should be comprehensive. It should be consuming with respect to eternity. And so again, the gospel compels us to live every day with eternity in mind. And that brings us to Philippians chapter 1. Maybe not the most obvious text with respect to thinking of eternity and heaven and things of that nature, but um, I think this text is going to put some things in front of us that are going to be really challenging and really put uh, in our mind a great thought and a great concept uh, around eternity. 
And here's what's going on in Philippians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. He's in prison. Uh, He's talking about the advance of the gospel starting in verse 12. And um, uh, in fact, some of the the guys are, are preaching the gospel and they're doing it as a means of just sticking it to Paul. They're like, well, watch this, Paul. Here's how we're going to stick it to you. We're going to go tell other people about Jesus. And of course, Paul's response is, hey, whether in pretense or in truth, if Jesus is proclaimed, and that I'll rejoice. And so that's where we pick it up at the end of verse 18. I'd encourage you to read along with me as I read through the end of the chapter here. Uh, second or latter part of verse 18, Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And listen very carefully to these next words. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let me just read that again. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. I'm not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Why don't you join me? Let's pray. Let's ask God to give us wisdom uh, and teach us and speak to us uh, in in and through his word here this morning. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, as we come before you, as we humble ourselves uh, before you, Lord God, we ask and pray that you uh, would move uh, and work in and through your people. God, we pray that by the power of your spirit, you would come and instruct us. God, that you would give us hearts for eternity, that we'd be fired up about heaven, that we would be so excited and thrilled, not about what's right in front of us today, but God, what will ultimately unfold for all of eternity for those who would follow you. God, maybe there's some here who don't know you. Maybe there's some here that eternity for them would be not thrilling. It would be horrifying because it would be to be apart from you. And that this morning would be the morning where they turn from sin, turn towards you, and are thrilled about what's to come. And God, not only for us, we pray for Spencer Brown and Center City. God, I pray for Spencer, that you'd be speaking Uh, in and through him. God, I thank you for my brother and my friend and just pray that you'd be honored in that church. God, that you'd be honored in that congregation and that group of believers, that you would be lifted high in what's happening there in Center City. And God, for us in these next few moments as we walk through uh, just this fantastic passage in Philippians, would you give us a great sense of eternity, a great sense of all that you have for us and are preparing for us and all that we should be living for. So Jesus, guide us, lead us, instruct us. We pray this all in your name, Lord. Amen. 
Seven words to change your life, eternity. Right, the gospel compelling us to live every day with eternity in our minds, really the lens or the frame by which we see all things. Uh, three things in the text here that I want to draw your attention to. Here's the first, look at verses 18 through 20. Uh, speaking of eternity, of course, framed in a way that helps us to um, apply this or live this out. Uh, here's the first thing. I will hope in Jesus' glory. Part of eternity, part of eternity is, is identifying where's my hope? What, where, where's my hope? What am I fired up about? What am I excited about? What do I exist for? I will hope in Jesus' glory. Notice what Paul says. He says, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus, Christ this will turn out for my deliverance. Remember, he's in prison. He's in prison. He's talking about being delivered. He's talking about being freed. And he goes on. He says, as it is my eager expectation, and there's that word hope. Okay, what are you expecting, Paul? What are you hoping in? That I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always. See, here's what he's fired up about. Here's what he's hoping in. That Christ will be honored in my body. I hope that Jesus will be honored in me. But if you notice, he didn't stop there. Look at what he says next. By life or by death. By life or by death. I hope that Jesus is honored in my body, whether by life or by death. I will hope in Jesus' glory. I will hope in Jesus' honor. Seven weeks ago, we started with the concept of uh, Jesus' glory or the glory of God. Uh, from Genesis 1 all the way through to the end of Revelation, uh, we see in everything in between that <clears throat> That, that concept or that reality of God's glory, that we exist to bring glory to him, but not only do we exist for it, that's what we hope in. And Paul, speaking of his deliverance and, and talking about the, uh, no confidence uh, or having confidence and no shame, not being ashamed, and this courage, but what he's speaking about there, it's tied to a much bigger item, and what he's hoping in is that Jesus Christ will be honored in him. Not only honored in him, but honored in him in his life or by death. See, Paul's hope is not tied to his circumstance or his situation. Been talking a lot about that in the last few weeks, haven't we? This whole concept of circumstances and situations and, and our hope or our, our service or um, our commitment not being tied to those things. And Paul's hope isn't tied here to whether or not he's going to be freed. It's not, it's not tied to his deliverance or the lack thereof. It's tied to Jesus being honored in him. See, what Paul is saying right here in Philippians 1 is that if Jesus Christ is honored in me, I will rejoice in that even, even, even if it costs me my life. Just ask yourself, can you say that? I mean, could, could you, from your, 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 your heart of hearts, could you say, I would long for Jesus to be honored in me even if it's going to cost me my life, even if it's going to cost me everything. Is that where our hope is found? <clears throat> for example, I think it's probably pretty easy for us to get fired up about Jesus being honored in our healing but would I be equally fired up if Jesus is honored in my sickness? I don't think many of us have a hard, place, a hard time arriving at the place where Jesus would be honored in some form of victory in my life. But could I have equal hope in the fact that Jesus would be honored in my defeat? 
I get really, really fired up about honoring Jesus in my prosperity, but what about if Jesus chooses to be glorified in my poverty? Am I going to respond in the same way? Peter in 1 Peter 4 says this. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Listen to what he says next. But rejoice. Rejoice in what? Well, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you also may, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. See, it's about the revelation of the glory of Jesus. That's what should fire us up. That should be the thing that, that, that we're passionate about. And an eternal focus, an eternal view of God has his glory in view. It sees everything through that lens. God is honored. I rejoice in that. Regardless of what it costs me or what it does to me or what comes to me in that particular moment. Will we live for his glory Will you live for his glory? Will you rejoice if he chooses to bring about success and be glorified in success? Will you rejoice if he's glorified in your failure? Maybe you're sitting there. Some of you, right? I mean, if we're honest, some of us probably are wrestling with that. I don't want to rejoice in suffering. I don't want to rejoice in hardship. I don't want to rejoice in loss or trial or difficulty. Maybe others of you, maybe even reluctantly, maybe some of you fervently are going, yeah, yeah, I, I want to do that. How? How do I do that? Where it's where Paul moves us here in the text and where we'll spend the rest of our time here this morning. Look at verse 21. Here's how you hope in the glory of Jesus is that you fully understand, you embrace, and you live out the truth of verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, just so we're clear, let's get a couple of things on the table. Um, first of all, those are two phenomenal options, okay? Um, that's like, hey, you've got a great choice and you have another great choice. How many people here can get kind of fired up about having two great options in front of them, okay? Um, imagine you were to show up to my house for dinner and I was like, hey, I wasn't sure what to make, so steak or lobster, what do you want? Like, that's a great option, right? Um, if you were to roll into your work tomorrow and your boss said, hey, we need to talk. Been really struggling about this. I don't know. I, I don't know if we should give you a raise or more vacation. Like, we're just wrestling. What, what, what do you want? Right? And you could go on and on and on with a host of, of other examples. But the idea being that, hey, those are two pretty good options. In fact, those are two great options. I can only find one problem with Philippians 121. It's that we can't have them both simultaneously. Right? I, I get one now, I get one later. Okay, so let's, let's talk about the one that we get now first. That's where Paul starts. Eternity, I will hope in Jesus' glory. Here's the second thing, to live as Christ. To live as Christ. Now, this phrase here in verse 21, it, it, there's no verbs there. It literally is to live Christ, to die gain. And so to live as Christ, to begin to think eternally about our lives this side of eternity it means that I have to begin to understand, I have to realize, I have to embrace the truth that if I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do it well, it's that my entire life, my entire being, the whole of who I am is utterly and completely wrapped up in the person of Jesus, that I'm swallowed by him, that my identity is literally found or becomes the identity of Jesus. Jesus. 
that, that, that I am literally wrapped up, consumed in him. Now I wonder, I wonder, is it possible that, that some of the most difficult aspects of our life, some of the most pressing or trying things in our life are tied to some mindset, to some reality, to some attitude, to some behavior where I just refuse to be consumed by Jesus, but I simply want to make him a portion or a part of my life. Could, could that possibly be one of the biggest issues in my life? That instead of being consumed by who Jesus is, that his identity envelops me. It's like, well, I got my Jesus thing. I got my career thing. I got my family thing. I got my hobby thing. I got my financial thing. I got my whatever other things are over here. And Jesus is a part or a portion of who I am. He is not the whole of who I am. And I wonder if we, if we fight and if we wrestle with that, I wonder if inside of us that, it's, that, that, that we attempt to, attempt to cling to some facade of autonomy that creates this difficulty within me because I, I want to hold on to my thing over here. I wonder for how many of us that we want part of Jesus, but we don't want to be lost in him because I don't want to lose my thing. To live as Christ, okay, well, how do we do that? How do we get lost in him? I think in verses 22 through 30, Paul begins to flesh that out for us here. Make note of these um, items that we see here. First of all, uh, to live as Christ, well, there's fruitful labor. Look at what he says in verse 22, there's fruitful labor. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. It's the work that you and I were created to do. Ephesians 2.10 uh, talks about uh, that, that God has created us, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. It's participating in the things that God created you and I to do and be. That, that we're, we're, we want to see the gospel expanded. We want to see God's kingdom go forward. It's the very thing contextually that we see here in Philippians 1. I think part of that is an attitude. Think about Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit and our attitude around this. Um, that, that my attitude around the gospel is righteous, but I also think some of this is an action piece. It's how we conduct ourselves. It's how I think. It's how I behave. It's, it's, it's how I speak. That God allows us to bear fruit and to be productive in ministry. There's fruitful labor. Part of literally being enveloped in Christ or wrapped up in Christ is fruitful labor. Notice verse 24, second thing. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. I just wrote this down, that there's ministry necessity. There's ministry necessity that while we live, we have opportunity to work for the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says this, Be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That God calls us to work. He calls us to do these things. I was struck by the fact this week, thinking about ministry necessity and this side of eternity. You realize there are things that you will do this side of eternity that you'll have no chance or no opportunity to do on the other side? I mean, think about that. There are some things that simply won't be available to you and I on the other side of eternity. That no need for sharing the gospel. Everyone there knows it. Won't need to counsel people because there will be no issues. There will be no need for comfort because we will live in the fullness of perfection. And you start thinking about some of those things. There's a host of other things you could go to. You begin to think about, man, there's a lot of work that if I don't do it here, I will never get the chance to do it. And the necessity of ministry, to be challenged by that, 
Let's go do the work. Thirdly, look at verse 25 and 26. To live as Christ, Paul says this, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Just wrote this down, that we'll continue with others. Now specifically here in the text, he's talking about the progress and the joy uh, that comes in and through uh, the faith. It's this community, it's this doing life together, it's sharing with one another that we continue with others, that we walk with others, that we get to see the progress, we get to see people be sanctified, we get to see people look more and more like Jesus as we walk alongside them. And we experience the joy that comes with that. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you, you're not gonna see any of that if you're not willing to continue with others, if you're not willing to walk with them. It's what we talked about last week with service. Am I willing to serve those around me? Am I willing to put myself and insert myself into other people's lives to continue with others? And then finally this, verses 27 through 30. I mean, you could preach an entire sermon on verses 27 through 30, uh, but I just summed it up in this, that part of living as Christ is to live a life worthy of the gospel to live a life worthy of the gospel, that our lives would be lived in a manner and a way that it's worthy of the gospel. Paul talks about standing firm and standing side by side in one spirit and one mind, that we're not frightened. He doesn't shy away from the reality of the suffering that, uh, that comes in this. See, what he's talking about here is biblical partnership around the gospel. That, that living is, is Christ is a partnership with Jesus and others around the gospel. That's what he's saying in verses 27 through 30. The live as Christ is to be completely wrapped up, to be consumed, to be swallowed by him. Think about what John the Baptist said in John 3 when he said, he must increase and I must decrease. It's that same concept. More of Jesus in me, less of myself in me. More of Jesus, less of me, to the point that, listen, loved ones, when people look at you, when people look at you, what they see is Jesus. See, that, that, that's the fullness of to live as Christ. They no longer see you. You simply fade away. Who they see is the person of Jesus being lived out inside of you. That's what it is to live as Christ. That's how, that's how you and I accomplish that. That's how you and I make the most of whether it's the next 30 minutes, uh, six weeks, uh, 12 months, or 75 years that are in front of us. Before that moment comes, and it's coming. It's been so in front of Becky and I this week. We, we both grew up in Flagstaff. I'm sure most of you guys saw what happened at NAU uh, on Thursday morning. <clears throat> in fact, we drove by that dorm about five hours before that shooting happened. And I'm, I'm an NAU grad, and uh, as we drove by, I shook my head, and just to myself, I thought, nothing good ever happens there. And uh, kind of prophetic, given what unfolded just a few hours later. And to be in the community, just such a heavy, dark uh, cloud. Last night as we were driving home, just moments in front of us. We didn't actually see it, but it was only a, a matter of moments before we arrived there. A car off the side of the road, guy's dead. Eternity is coming. It's coming. It's coming. Like, wake up, man. It is going to be here before you know it. You're not guaranteed the next point in the sermon. Much less later today or the Cowboys game or next week or anything else in front of you. 
And yet we live like, man, I got forever, I got forever, I got forever. That freshman on NAU thought he had forever, he's gone. A guy driving his car yesterday thought he had plenty of time. Eternity is fixed. Wake up. Quit wasting our time. Let's quit wasting our life to live as Christ. I think this is quite a profound statement because really the only way that you and I ever find fulfillment or true life is to live as Christ. To chase all this other garbage and junk and whatnot. It's not fulfilling. It leaves us empty. I will hope in Jesus' glory to live as Christ. And how about this? To die is gain. To die is gain. We can read it. We can say it. We can pronounce it. We can yell it. Here's the question that I really want every one of us to wrestle with right here in this moment. Do I believe it? Do I believe that dying would be gain? In my heart of hearts, do I really believe that? Do I believe that heaven will be better? Do I believe that it'll be more exciting, more fulfilling, more, life gi- more, more life-giving, more, more, more exhilarating, just far better than where I'm at today? Do I believe that? There's so many, there's so many lame views of heaven out there. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, there are a lot, a lot of lame views. And uh, in fact, I'll tell you what, let's, let's put, can we put that first? You guys remember Gary Larson? Yeah, he used to write The Far Side. That, that guy used, he, he, he liked to, to press into um, heaven and hell a little bit and stuff like that. Chris, can we put that first a cartoon up? So I don't know how well you can see this, okay? Um, how many of us, this is what we think of when we think of heaven, right? Sitting on a cloud, cheesy little angel wings, all by ourselves. And if you, if you can't read the caption, there's a guy sitting there and he said, wish I would have brought a magazine. Bored. Heaven's boring. Okay, yeah, thank you. Who said no way? Every one of you should have said, no way. Wrong. Okay. Yet for how many of us is this what we think of heaven? Or maybe, maybe put that other one up here real quick. Um, I don't know how well you can see this. So you've got, you've got on the top, it's heaven. Uh, on the bottom, it's hell. And uh, the, the angel out there, welcome to heaven. Here's your harp. And can we, just, can we just agree? I mean, maybe there was a point in human history where the harp was a cool instrument. Um, that has not been the case in my human history, okay? Uh, it's like the, if someone plays the harp, you're free to come tell me what a jerk I am after the message, okay? But I'm just telling you that there's nothing thrilling about playing a harp. Exactly. Get me all fired up. Oh, okay. None of you play the harp. Get out of here. Okay. (laughs) Here's your harp. Now on the bottom, this one's maybe a little closer to reality. Welcome to hell. Here's your accordion, right? (laughs) But notice, if you notice, the people up top look more bored than the people on the bottom. See, that's what we think. We think heaven's going to be boring, but hell, hell won't be that bad. That's where all the fun people are. That's how great it'll be. In fact, Randy Alcorn, Randy Alcorn wrote a fantastic book called Heaven. Let me read to you a little bit out of this, uh, out of this book. And in fact, very first page of the book, chapter one, titled, Are You Looking Forward to Heaven? He doesn't even get off the first page before he begins to address the reality of how many believers 
aren't exactly excited about heaven. He says, tragically, however, most people do not find their joy in Christ in heaven. In fact, many people find no joy at all when they think about heaven. A pastor, this is troubling, a pastor once confessed to me, whenever I think about heaven, it makes me depressed. I'd rather just cease to exist when I die. Why, I asked. I can't stand the thought of that endless tedium to float around in the clouds with nothing to do but strum a harp. It's all so terribly boring. Heaven doesn't sound much better than hell. I'd rather be annihilated than spend eternity in a place like that. It's tragic. I'm glad to hear so many of you just like, what? Okay, first of all, your pastors don't think that about heaven. Um, second of all, there's nothing about harps in the scriptures with respect to heaven, okay? Um, it's not gonna be lonely. It's not gonna be boring. It's gonna blow your mind. Let's start with that thought, okay? And yet here, listen, listen, listen. If I don't get it right, if I don't understand heaven and hell rightly, if I don't see eternity rightly, there are massive and eternal consequences of this. Because if I think that heaven is boring, if I think that it's second rate, if I think that it's junior varsity, if I think that it's like down here, then I will live for what's right in front of me. I will invest everything in the world that's right in front of me. I'm gonna throw all my eggs into the basket that's gonna last 50, 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 years if I'm lucky. And then, well, I'll just endure the rest of eternity. Which couldn't be further from the truth. But, 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 if I think that eternity really is what God tells me it's gonna be, if I really am fired up about all that God has for us, then I will gladly forego the lameness of what's right here in front of me. I will invest myself entirely into the kingdom and I will reap the incredible benefits of eternity and all that God has to offer for me. And so we have to, have to see this correctly. We have to see this rightly. We have to see it biblically. I got one point here, to die is gain. Look at verse 23. I'm hard pressed between the two which is kind of a shocking statement, but he fills it out here with this next line. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. Just in case you're wondering, it's not a little bit better, it's not somewhat better, it's far better. Like infinitely better. And the reason that it's far better is to be with Jesus. And I think for many of us, so much of our failure to see heaven rightly is simply our inability to actually see it. I can't see it, I can't touch it, I can't hold it, I can't smell it, I can't sense it. And so I'm left just to kind of think about it, even though the scriptures tell me it's gonna be insanely better than anything that I can think of here. And so because I can't see it, well, I just begin to question, well, is it really gonna be that good? Is it really gonna be that great? Am I really gonna enjoy it that much? Is it really worth living for? I can't see it, so I don't believe it. We can walk outside right now, you're not gonna see any stars. Doesn't mean there's not however many billion of them there are up in the sky. You might say, well, Mike, we can, well, we'll see it tonight. Right, well, we can see what's, what heaven is in the scriptures. We can see the truth of it. Maybe I can't hold it and touch it and feel it, but I can see it with the same clarity that you and I would see the stars once the sun goes down. And so maybe the question in front of us is, what is it that makes heaven so much greater than earth? What makes it so much better 
I'm so glad you asked because that's what I have in the rest of my notes. So let's just begin to walk down that road. Because honestly, there's, there's so many different things that we could, um, we could go to, we could point to, we could talk about the fact that we're all gonna get custom-built homes, right? That's what Jesus tells us in John 14. Fired up about that. I woke up this morning to a leak in our, our refrigerator. Thankfully, there was only a little bit of water on the floor and not a ton of water damage, but I'll be excited for when the custom-built home and nothing breaks down, all right? Okay, um, true confessions. How many people are fired up for the feast in heaven? right? Like, I can't wait to eat in heaven. And I don't, I don't know if you just never get full and you constantly get to eat, or you just always feel like you're eating, or what that's going to be like. I'm pretty fired up about the feast, all right? That's going to be fantastic. You start thinking about the community in heaven. Think about the community. You start thinking about, man, I can't wait to talk to well, Jesus, right? That's kind of obvious. I'm really fired up. I want to talk to Isaiah. Jeremiah, man, tell me. What was that like? Peter, thank you for being such a knucklehead. You made it so much easier for the rest of us, you know? Paul, what was it like? Stephen, what were you thinking right before they started stoning? Right, I mean, that's gonna be phenomenal. The biblical characters, other heroes of the faith. Luther, what was going through your mind, man, when you nailed those theses to the door? Spurgeon, oh, talk to me about preaching, buddy. Talk to me about that. You start thinking about other people we know now. There's a number of you, you've had loved ones who've gone ahead of you and are there. You can't wait to see them. You start thinking about, I think about for me, I think about loved ones uh, that are there. I think about the other side. I think about people in my family. If Jesus doesn't come back, then I'll never meet here on earth, but I'm gonna meet him in heaven. You start thinking about the community and see all of that, all of those things. And those are some pretty amazing things just right there. I think those are all kind of peripheral issues to some of the bigger issues. Here's five. Here's five biblical reasons heaven is far better than earth. And they'll kind of increase with intensity as we move through them. Uh, But here's the first is renewed creation. We'll live in renewed creation. 2 Peter 3, Romans 8, Revelation 21 all talk about this renewed creation. Creation being fully renewed, fully restored, flawless, without issue. Okay, so what? Why is that a big deal? Well, it's a big deal if you've ever pulled a weed. Okay? It's a big deal if you've ever had to deal with bugs, if you've ever dealt with drought, if you've ever dealt with natural disaster, if you've ever dealt with pestilence, if you've ever dealt with a flood. We live in a desert. I'm pretty fired up about no more deserts, right? Renewed creation, perfect creation. Grand Canyon, gonna be far grander. Rockies, way more rocky, way more majestic, way more whatever else you want them to be. And you start thinking about that. The renewed creation. Not only is creation renewed, you and I are renewed. You get resurrected bodies. Okay, hey, there should be a hearty amen in the room around that one, right? First Corinthians 15, I mean, as you get older, your body falls apart. That's, that's why sometimes you don't even have to get old. Sometimes you can be young and it falls apart and it breaks down. But you start thinking about the reality that, that for all of us, right, one day we'll experience death unless Jesus comes back. But for all of eternity, you and I will have a body that will be like our body, but will be nothing like our body. It won't get sick. It won't age. Pretty fired up about the not aging thing. Okay, it's not going to wear out. Uh, It's not going to get tired. It's not going to break down. It's not going to get sick. Further, we're going to have the fullness of strength and power within us. 
which means we're going to use our body fully the way that it was intended to be. You're going to actually use all of your brain. Right? I mean, you use like 10% of your brain. Some of you, 10% is kind of a stretch sometimes, right? Okay? But we're, we're going to use the whole of who God created us to be. Flawlessly. As if that wasn't enough. Renewed creation, resurrected bodies. Thirdly, there's going to be eternal rewards. Eternal rewards. Romans 14, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 3, amongst other places that begin to speak into this. Let me just make a couple of comments here about this before I press into it. First of all, um, the Bible very clearly, unmistakably teaches that there are degrees of reward for believers. When it speaks of judgment for believers, it doesn't talk about condemnation. That's covered in the cross. So when it's talking about judgment for believers, that you and I, our work is going to be judged based upon what we do, and that there will be various uh, degrees of reward that are given to believers based on what we have or have not done. 1 Corinthians 3 is very, very clear about this. I kind of see, I kind of, I refer to it as like wheelbarrow theology where you essentially, your whole of your life is you're just putting stuff in a wheelbarrow. Sometimes it's gold, silver, precious stones. Other times it's wood, hay, and stubble. And you're just putting it in, man. Everything you do, put it into the wheelbarrow, put it into the wheelbarrow. And then you're going to roll up to heaven and whoo, flames. Paul even says that whatever is not consumed moves forward. And so the, the, this fullness, uh, right, the, the reality that we have to understand that, yeah, that there's going to be a varying degree of rewards. Now, I, I mean, I get why we fight this. It's, I mean, if we're just honest with ourselves, the reason we don't believe this, the reason that we fight this isn't because it's biblical. In fact, I would suggest to you it's anti-biblical. We just want to ease our conscience. Because I want to live my life my way, but I still want the fullness of all the benefits and blessings in eternity which are there in one sense, but maybe lacking in another. Let me just give you maybe a modern day example. I think this will help to drive this point home. Imagine um, you work 12 hours a day and you make X amount of dollars. And imagine that I roll in at 4.45 p.m. and I clock out no later than 5 p.m. and I make the exact same amount of money. I'm guessing inside all of you, you would go, wait a second. That doesn't square. That's not right. It's not equitable or fair. So if we would think that way, I think that's wired within us. Why would God be different? Why would God say, hey, this person literally gave up everything that they have and all that they are and invested themselves fully in the kingdom. You completely and totally live by yourself. You got in by the skin of your teeth because of my work, did nothing else. But hey, you know, y'all have the same. So on one side, do not miss the point. This is a warning. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life on things that aren't going to go with you. That's why Jesus is always talking about treasures in heaven and investing there and living for that and being a part of the kingdom. Now, you have to hold that. We have to temper that with the other side of this, that while there will be a distinction in reward, there will be zero distinction in the fullness of our joy. No one is going to sit there and look at that and be like, well, I wish I had what he had. Man, if only I had what she had. No, no, there's going to be a fullness of joy Part of our reward is simply the capacity to which we can experience that joy. And I think one of the things that Revelation 4 teaches us is the degree at which we get to take our, our, our rewards, our crowns, our jewels, and lay them back at the foot of Jesus and worship. That's when we're going to want them, right? That's when I'm going to want the massive uh, stockpile. Like, I want to bring more and more and more I'm laying at your feet. That's the point, okay? 
And so eternal rewards, eternal rewards are great because uh, they're not going to wear out. They're not going to rust. They're not going to be destroyed. Uh, you can go out and buy a new car today. That thing ain't going to work a few years down the road. Uh, the things in heaven will always work perfectly. We will never lose any sense of satisfaction or delight in those things either, which is so radically different than the life that we live here on earth. So we have renewed creation, resurrected bodies, eternal rewards. Honestly, you could even get rid of those first three and these last two still make it far better than anything that we could even fathom. Uh, How about this one? Of the absence of sin and its effects. The absence of sin and its effects. I just wrote um, down here, this is really the list of no mores. No more. So just begin to hear this, begin to think about this reality and how radically different this is than what you and I live in right now. There'll be no more aging. There'll be more, no more pain. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more cancer. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more abuse, no more shame, no more sadness, no more guilt, no injustice. There'll be no hate. There'll be no division. There'll be no divorce. There'll be no alienation, no failure, no disappointment. There'll be no miscarriage. There'll be no hurt. There'll be no loss. There'll be nothing connected to, tied to, uh, in any way, shape, or form to sin. Every aspect of the fall will be completely, comprehensively, totally eliminated. There there, there won't even be Mondays in heaven, okay? And... And if they are, we'll love them, all right? Everything, everything, everything tied to sin and its effects, gone. And if that wasn't enough, there's this one right here. It's the presence of God. I I, I hope, okay, I hope as we are running through the list, it's like, okay, Uh, Mike, we're missing one A. Like, where is it, man? Where is it? Here it is. It's the presence of God. It's the the, the unhindered, uh, uh, unrestrained, uh, uh, unencumbered presence of our Savior. No limitations, no restrictions, no barriers, nothing. Jesus and us right there face to face for all of eternity. That, that loved one's That's the prize, okay? That's the treasure. That's the excitement. That's the thing that should fire us up. That's the thing that should be gripping us. It's my Savior. He's right, he's right there. And and, and there's nothing that will ever separate me from him again. Now you think about those things. You think about, how, I mean, how many other things could we put on that list? I mean, so many other things. But as we consider these truths, I, I couldn't help but think about, um, remember in 1 Corinthians 2 where Paul tells us, you can't even think, you can't even fathom how great it's going to be. So like even in this, we get fired up about this, and it's like, yeah, guess what? You, you can't even begin to wrap your mind around how great it's going to be. Like we, we can categorically understand it, but we don't even understand it. Like you, you, we don't even get it. So when you consider that, versus where we currently live. I mean, how do you even compare those two? I mean, they're incomparable. And see, that's really the point. They're incomparable. Heaven, eternity, is far greater. It's far better. It's far superior. 
And yet for how many of us, for how many of us, will we walk out of here today? I won't live for heaven. I won't even live with heaven in mind, but I'm gonna live for what's right in front of me. That's gonna be the thing that's gonna grip me. That's gonna be the thing that's gonna grab me. That's gonna be the thing that's gonna hold me. The gospel compels us to live every day with eternity in mind. Heaven is our home. We are not home. Now, I already mentioned Becky and I went to Flagstaff for a couple days this past week. Uh, I was born in Flagstaff. Uh, My whole family grew up there. The first time I moved uh, was when I was in college. And I moved into my grandma's old house. Okay? Also in Flagstaff. Spent probably 80, 90% of my life in that community. But there was this odd sense that if you've been to Flagstaff, you're coming in on I-40 and you, you turn into the city, you head north, and you're standing there looking right at the San Francisco peaks, just glorious, glorious mountains there. And we, 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 you turn in, <clears throat> and for most of my life, the, those mountains have symbolized, oh, that's home, that's home. I mean, you, you can see them um, on I-40, you can see them around Holbrook. It's like, oh, there it is, there it is. You turn that corner and I just stand in there or staring at them as I'm driving thinking, it's foreign. Emotionless. Well, they're mountains. And all I kept thinking of was, because it's not home. It's not home. It's never been home. It's where I grew up. <clears throat> Maybe you guys have some places, some physical places. Like, that's where I grew up or that's where I feel most comfortable. It's not home. It's not home. Heaven is our home. We are aliens and we are strangers and we are passing through. Do not, do not, do not waste your life on something that's here today and gone tomorrow. Invest the whole of your life, invest all that you are into eternity, into what's to come, into what Lewis calls the long tomorrow. Loved ones, that and that alone is where our hearts should be drawn to. Let's pray.